Monday, and we launch another series of this week's midday programs on the Rural Radio Network. Hi there. I'm Dirk Christensen. I have a Jason. I have a Bob. I have a Jesse in front of me here with all the information previewing what we'll be hearing today on midday. Oh, and, and of course, Joe Gangwish. And of course. Wishes us all the best here through the windows, the soundproof <laughs> booth that we keep him in, so he's totally in the dark until we throw it over to him. Yes. <laughs> keep you guys in isolation. Yeah, okay. I feel like we're doing The Wall, that new <laughs> that new show on, on TV, right? Except we can see through our yeah. wall. Right, what I want to do is see that ball land right on the million-dollar mark over here at Joe Gangwish's microphone. Okay, let's go with uh, Jesse Harding here with our news headlines in ag. Well, coming up at the 1213, we'll talk about pulse crops, and they've seen acreage increases over the past couple decades. We'll talk about possible reasons why that is occurring. Also, two new traits have been announced for export to China now. We'll discuss what those are. For the 1219, Bruce Gorder is with Katie Olholf. She is talking about the upcoming Women in Ag Conference. That will be going on in Iowa for Iowa women and farmers. For the newsmaker, Chabella Guzman is with Stacy Adams. UNL Associate Professor of Practice in Horticulture, Especially Crops. They're going to be talking about hops in a possible cash crop for Nebraska. And then finally, we'll have at the 117, Susan Littlefield, as we're getting underway in the county fair season, State Fair is coming up, and she's talking with the State Fair Executive Director, Joseph McDermott, talking about the upgraded security to the State Fair, including all of the livestock barns and some of the changes we can expect this year. Wow. Okay. We'll listen in. Jason Jorgensen has the sports. Big 12 media days are going on today in Texas. Of course, Big 12 have had some ups and some downs with that league over the years, especially after a couple of defections a while back. We'll get the thoughts on what's taking place today and how they are looking forward to things. Uh, another former Husker is landed on one of those preseason watch lists. This time it's receiver and punt and kick returner. Mr. Pearson L. We'll oh, see yeah. what kind of a year he has. He was okay last year, but you could tell he was kind of missing that burst he had before he had blown out his knee and was injured. And uh, you will, no doubt, hear a lot about this story all week long leading up to Thursday. <laughs> the juice oj yeah. he's up for parole <laughs> and we've not seen him publicly since yeah. 2013 i think since the last time he was up for parole when they right. shot him down and of course this will be televised coming up on thursday so mark it down if you want to see the juice M- must see viewing huh? they My think goodness. he has a decent chance of getting out so do they really mm-hmm. all right they're eight years well, I'm sure we'll have to follow the line on that one in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. You know, we jest, but there probably is a line sure somewhere on if the yeah. juice will be freed this time around. Yeah. All right. Bob Brogan, what's the business today? Stocks are a little bit higher in midday trading, and uh, things are looking pretty good in that respect. Uh, also, uh, no Trump slump in U.S. tourism. There was some concern that there'd be uh, a little bit of a downturn in tourism that has not taken place and in fact uh, uh, tourism is pretty robust across the country also subway wants to freshen up its look yeah. maybe uh, throw in some extra new vegetables or something like that who knows well i can't wait let's get pomegranate in there 
And for Paul Perkins, let's take a look at your ag weather. I'm Dirk Christensen. A hot week is on the way. Best chances for rain and thunderstorms occurring today and Tuesday. A few strong to severe storms will be possible this afternoon and evening. Locally, excessive rain and flooding will be possible as well. And then after Tuesday, little or no additional rain really expected through the remainder of the week. Here is your ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. Isolated to scattered thunderstorms possible in central and northeast Nebraska. Moving into east central Nebraska, western Iowa for tonight. Some uh, possibilities of severe storms, but those will be pretty far and few between. That hot week, though, is going to really settle in after Tuesday. We are going to be expecting temperatures to really sizzle, probably up toward 100, and heat index values to between 100 and 108 degrees each afternoon for Tuesday through Friday. Chances of thunderstorms then returning to the area by late Friday night and through Sunday. Mostly sunny today for Nebraska. High temperatures expected to be in the low to middle 90s with the lows tonight 61 to 67 in the west. Low 70s in the eastern portions of the state. Mainly sunny with a chance of thunderstorms 92 to 98 expected on Tuesday. A broad difference in conditions across the Midwest. More exhausting drought in the northern plains. The key to weather items for the commodity traders' attention today. The weather forecast calling for ongoing variability in the Midwest. Limited rainfall and above normal temperatures over central and southern portions of the Midwest for this week. Increasing stress on corn and soybeans and especially for the newly pollinating corn. Some crop losses are expected in northern Iowa and to southern Minnesota. Those should experience some a little bit of beneficial rainfall and more moderate temperatures in that area, kind of limiting the amount of uh, very, very dry heat, but mostly favorable weather for developing corn and soybeans in the eastern Midwest this week with less rainfall over the central and southern areas. No severe heat is expected to ease up the pressure in the markets. Portions of the southern plains and thundershower Sunday into early Monday with locally heavy amounts. The region expected to remain mostly dry or with only isolated thundershower activity over the next five days. After that, we could see some scattered shower activity developing. In the northern plains, episodes of heat and limited rainfall expected to continue with significant crop stress. Major losses to spring wheat have already occurred and that pollinating corn is being affected with significant losses likely, now the most affected areas expected to be, as always, Montana, western and central North Dakota, and South Dakota. Central sectors up into the Canadian prairies remain in drought. Dryness is of much concern in an area centered on the southwest and central Saskatchewan areas. Showers during the next five days in the Canadian prairies region are expected to occur mostly north and east of that area. Cooler temperatures will, for a time, ease stress to crops in the area. However, hotter weather returns at times in that 6- to 10-day period. Canola and wheat are being affected, especially in Saskatchewan. In the Ukraine and southern Russia, just a few light showers during the weekend. Somewhat hotter for southern Russia, but not as hot elsewhere in that region. The region does not look very active for this week, but a few showers or thundershowers could occur at times. doesn't look very hot, but it does feature above normal temperatures for brief periods. Scattered northeast China showers are going to be seeing uh, some fall on areas that are in need to support favorable reproduction and filling out the crops in that region. 
The weekend weather featured above normal temperatures and only isolated thunder shower activity. Weather during the next week will continue the trend toward below normal rainfall and above to near normal temps. As expected, heavy rains occurred as expected in key growing areas of western India. There will be maintaining an adequate to surplus soil moisture for the cotton and uh, groundnut areas, but also likely means severe flooding in some of those areas. Rains in uh, parts of western India during the weekend and with more rain likely later in the week means it's very favorable for soybeans, cotton, and sugarcane crops growing in those locations. And finally, dryness is becoming of some concern to key growing areas of Australia, where showers have occurred during the past week in the wheat growing areas of the west, the southeast South Australia, Victoria, and southeast Queensland areas. Important wheat areas of New South Wales, Wales remain dry during the period. More rain is needed in all those areas, even locations that recently had showers after a very, very dry June. For central Nebraska, expecting a partly cloudy sky and a 50-50 chance of showers and thunderstorm activity yet today. And that's a 50% chance into tonight. Tuesday exhibits a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms for the afternoon. Today's high about 90. For Tuesday, about 95 degrees. Right now, it's 83 under cloudy skies, 63% humidity in this ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. Taking a look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. China Biotechnology authorities clear two strains of genetically engineered corn, one developed by Monsanto, 8740-427 under the Roundup Ready brand, and one by Syngenta, 5307 under the AgriSure Duracade brand. But 100 days after China and U.S. struck a 10-point trade deal, China has acted on on only four of the eight biotech crops that it pledged to move along in its regulatory pipeline. Monsanto says they appreciate approval so far, according to a spokeswoman, that nothing, noting that its corn submission had been pending for five years, but she says the company is disappointed that China has yet to act on the others, saying that this is inconsistent with numerous scientific conclusions around the world on the same products, as well as with the spirit of the U.S.-China 100-day plan. A combination of risk management products is a major factor behind two-decade increase in U.S. pulse crop acreage. Tim McGreevy of the U.S. Dry Pea and Lentil Council explains how risk management products like crop insurance and education training have fueled significant growth in pulse crop acreage over the last two decades. The risk management programs offered by the USDA Risk Management Agency are really absolutely critical to the growth of our industry that we've seen really in the past 20 years. These risk management tools, including both a yield option for our producers and a brand new revenue protection option for peas, lentils, and chickpeas, has really made a huge difference in terms of having growers comfortable with taking the risk to grow these specialty crops on their farms. We have had explosive growth in the pulse industry. To go from 400,000 acres basically 20 years ago to 2.7 million acres, that is a huge shift. And what we've seen is where these crops are being grown across the northern tier, we've seen expanded acreage in North Dakota early in the 2000s. And now more recently, we've seen this huge explosion in acreage of these crops in Montana where they have never been raised before. 
Brazil's Minister of Agriculture will meet with U.S. Agriculture Secretary Sandy Perdue today in an attempt to resume fresh beef exports to the United States. U.S. Department of Agriculture halted beef imports from Brazil last month because of reoccurring concerns about the safety of the products. Brazil is hopeful that U.S. will lift the ban, as the Brazilian government said the suspension was related to nonconformities due to reactions to vaccines against foot and mouth disease, which can provoke abscesses in the meat. The Brazilian government has ordered all beef producers to follow certain cut procedures for beef that will help to easily identify potential problems. And the U.S. embargo is among a series of challenges Brazil's meat producers are facing this year after investigation questioning the quality of sanitary inspection was released in March, prompting dozens of countries to temporarily block shipments from the country. Since then, most of the countries have resumed Brazilian meat purchases, but many have reinforced inspections. Today, Governor Pete Ricketts, the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services, and Nebraska Department of Labor unveiled a new major employment initiative for participants in Nebraska's Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, known as SNAP. The first year of the joint pilot program had connected families who receive SNAP benefits with better-paying jobs. The program is a partnership between DHSS and the Department of Labor, utilizes the department's existing manpower and resources. More on this story can be found by visiting Roll radio.com for the rolled radio network i'm jesse harding i'm bruce gorder on the rural radio network a major conference for the women in ag organization is coming soon to iowa for those not familiar with the organization katie altoff from the group explains yeah women in ag in iowa has been around for about 11 years uh, and it started out with a grant in order to help educate women and, and help them gain confidence when they're making decisions on the farm so my first involvement was about five or six years ago um, i was a, a fairly new farm wife at the time and i didn't grow up on the farm so i went to the women in ag conference uh, and uh, honest to goodness met some women that really changed my life I uh, went to one of the breakout sessions uh, and learned about the organization Common Ground. Um, I got involved with that and uh, and met some others, made some connections that really helped me grow in my role in agriculture, both on the farm and professionally. And now, a few years later, I'm a board member for Iowa Women in Ag, and I, I have a full-time career off the farm working in agriculture. And I really trace that all back to that first time that I went to the Women in Ag conference. Well, fantastic. Uh, is this conference coming up, is this for uh, just the members of Women in Ag, or and can a new member like yourself uh, a few years ago come to this conference? No, absolutely. It is for any women that are involved in agriculture, and uh, we get uh, women who work full-time on the farm. We get women who work full-time off the farm. Uh, we get women who work full-time in agriculture but maybe didn't grow up in the agriculture world. So. Um, we have a wide variety of topics and speakers, and uh, like I, I said, for in my case, the networking is just as valuable as the educational topics, so we encourage everybody to come out. One of the speakers I'd like to touch on uh, briefly is Darcy Vetter. She's been a former uh, trade ambassador uh, for agriculture, just has a prominent role in Washington and all over the country. And she's a, she's a farm girl from Nebraska, and uh, she has, has made her name in agriculture, and she's terrific. She's going to be a great addition to your conference. Yeah, we're really excited to have her. Um, we have some other great speakers that are coming, too. Natalina Sense 
is a, an Iowa farm girl who just graduated from Iowa State last year. She's been on a year-long road trip visiting farms all over the United States for her Why I Farm series. Uh, she's back home in Iowa now, and she's going to speak to us over lunch about that experience. Um, we have speakers that are going to be talking about estate planning. Uh, we have one that's going to be talking about mental health and stress management on the farm. I think that's a really important topic right now with our current economic situation and really every day for women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about sort of diversifying and, and adding value. Again, with the current economic situation, we understand that people are uh, might be struggling if they're just focused on uh, one commodity or corn and soybeans alone. And so we're going to talk about some ways that they could maybe supplement their income there. Uh, really going to be a jam-packed day with, with lots of information. Where can we get more information, uh, Katie, on, on this uh, a website or a phone number? The uh, website is iowawomeninag.org. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, and we just have started a new Facebook group for women to connect there as well. Um, it's a place where women in agriculture can uh, support each other, give advice, um, build that network, and, you know, We've got we've got different challenges on the farm or working in agriculture than other women do, and this is a safe place for us to discuss those challenges and provide each other with support and encouragement. That's Katie Altoff from the group Women in Ag. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. It's the midday program of the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Big 12 football media days are underway in Texas. Conference Commissioner Bob Bowlesby addressed the media today, and he thinks things are headed in the right direction. We we distributed a little over $34 million uh, last year. That is uh, about a 15% increase from the previous year. Uh, that also, I would remind you, doesn't include our third-tier rights, which in the case of uh, several of our schools are, are very substantial. So we, we felt like uh, we, we really have... Uh, uh, have continued to compete from a financial standpoint. And Another college football news, Nebraska's senior wideout DeMornay Pearsonell has been named to the watch list for this year's Paul Horning Award. That award is in its eighth year and is given annually to the most versatile player in college football. This marks the second time he's been named to the award watch list after also being on the preseason list before the 2015 season. In addition to being one of Nebraska's top returning receivers, he's also shown the ability to be a very good punt and kick returner. He had a productive 2016 campaign, but was still slowed by a major knee injury that he suffered during the end of the 2015 campaign. Longtime Kansas State football coach Bill Snyder is planning to write a children's book. The Wichita Eagle reports that publisher Kraken Book says the 77-year-old Snyder is writing a children's book called Take It From Me. Snyder is preparing to coach his 26th season at K-State. O.J. Simpson, believe it or not, could have a good chance at parole when he asks officials this week to let him out of a Nevada prison after serving more than eight years for an ill-fated bid to retrieve sports memorabilia. Now 70, Simpson has history in his favor and a clean record behind bars while serving his sentences for that 2007 armed robbery. He is due to appear via video conference on Thursday from the Lovelock Correctional Center to be questioned by parole commissioners. And Roger Federer's eighth Wimbledon title is pushing back to number three 
in the APT rankings after ending last season at number 16. And because Federer sat out the last half of 2016, his points will continue to accumulate, making a return to number one a real possibility. In Legion Baseball, the Class B and C Junior State American Legion Baseball tournaments continue today in both Nebraska City and St. Paul. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. The Wings of Freedom Tour is currently on display at the Kearney Regional Airport. It began at noon today, and planes will continue to be on display through Wednesday afternoon. Hunter Cheney, Director of Marketing for the Collings Foundation, which sponsors the tour, talks about the different types of aircraft that will be on display. The Wings of Freedom Tour features some of the most rare historic aircraft from World War II. We have the legendary B-17 Flying Fortress, a big four-engine heavy bomber. That's one of eight flying in the world. And we have a B-24 Liberator, last one of its types still flying in the world and B-25 Mitchell, same type aircraft that was flown during the Doolittle Raid. And flying escort to these bombers is the legendary P-51 Mustang. The Wings of Freedom Tour travels the nation as a flying tribute to the flight crews who flew them, the ground crews who maintained them, the workers who built them, and the soldiers, sailors, and airmen they helped protect, along with the citizens and families that share the freedom that they helped preserve. People who want to hunt deer at the Gifford Point Wildlife Management Area just east of Bellevue may seek access permits through the end of July. The Nebraska Game and Parks Commission will be issuing 200 permits. Application forms are available at Game and Parks offices at Omaha, Lincoln, Exarban Aquarium, and Schilling Wildlife Management Area. A drawing will then be held on August 2nd if more than 200 applications are received. Authorities say a man has been injured in the collision of two personal watercraft on Calamus Reservoir in central Nebraska over the weekend. The Nebraska Game and Parks Commission say witnesses reported that the two watercraft were weaving back and forth across each other's paths before Saturday's collision. The injured man was flown to a Kearney hospital. The other man was cited for reckless operation and for boating under the influence. Their names have not yet been released. A number of businesses have been rebuilt in and around an eastern Nebraska village since experiencing severe tornado damage. The Norfolk Daily News reports that businesses and homes had been destroyed in a 2014 tornado that ripped through Pilger. The wreckage included Pilger's village office, where building permits for homes and businesses go through the village clerk and utilities superintendent. The village has since rebuilt the office, which includes improvements such as a storm shelter and additional storage space. A ribbon-cutting ceremony this month celebrated the reopening of the village's Midwest Bank. Pilger Pride General Manager Aaron Becker says his convenience store opens this month as well. Village clerk Kim Neiman says that she's glad, quote, to have everything in one place again. And Nebraska lawmakers who want to preserve the state's small towns are considering paying people to move there. Senators are looking into relocation incentives designed to draw residents back to rural areas. Small cities such as Curtis offer free land, down payment assistance for a house, and golf club memberships, among others, to try and entice young families to live in the area. A legislative hearing scheduled for August 24th in North Platte will explore the issue further. Get your news fast and first when you like our Facebook page. In the KRVN News Center, this is Brandon Bennett.
Nebraska grows a variety of crops from corn to soybeans and dry edible beans, but producers are always on the lookout for another cash crop, which is where the University of Nebraska-Lincoln comes in. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Stacy Adams, UNL Associate Professor of Practice in Horticulture Specialty Crops, is working under a grant for growing and developing hops in Nebraska. Stacy, how did you get into developing hops for Nebraska? It started out as an exploratory item. I have a three-way split at the university, so I do teaching, research, and extension, which is kind of complex. So um, half of my time is teaching, but my area of expertise is actually greenhouse and season extension tools and specialty crop uh, for Nebraska. And along the line, I came up or ran into hops when I was traveling back east. Long story short, the grant that we got um, a couple years ago basically is evaluating um, the viability of making hops a commercial crop in Nebraska. So we know hobbyists can do hops, but it's um, if we're going to have a commercial uh, industry, then the crop has to be able to perform consistently. Okay, so you've been doing this for a few years. Stacy. can you tell us where some of the soils are good for growing hops? We have about 40 to 60 acres of hops over on the east side of the state along the Missouri River Valley up there. The problem on the east side of the state is the soils are so heavy. They're very high in clay, and management is so different than what um, traditional hops production is used to. So that's where Scott's Bluff comes into play. Believe it or not, the um, soil conditions out there are very similar to what hops is typically grown in. Um, So one of my goals was to find some sandy soil locations, and the soils out at Scott's Bluff are are unique in their own way. So I understand this extension has five sites, and this is like the second year for the hops. How are they performing so far? Well, um, amazingly well at Scott's Bluff, actually. The plants shouldn't have performed very well last year because that was the initial planting stage, and they actually did quite well. As far as the whole project, we have about four cultivars that have really hit pretty well spot on. This year has been an, an, an amazing challenge, <laughs> but that's also a part of it because you got to remember that hops is typically grown in the Pacific Northwest and the environment doesn't change a lot. Um, and Nebraska has such a volatile environment. So that is something that um, if a farmer is going to grow this, they need to be aware of it. Stacy, now that you know hops can be grown in Nebraska, what are some things that researchers look for in the hops? There's three attributes of hops that um, people look at. One of them is really important for the brewing industry. Another one's not as important for the brewers, but it is important if they want to go beyond brewing, if they want to do like essential oils or get into pharmaceuticals or whatever. Third component is called aroma, which is aroma characteristic that sense you know that, that our body scents and tells us whether this is good or not. So that one we can't measure because there's over 300 compounds, chemical compounds that give us the aroma characteristic. So what we're looking at on this ex- experiment is what's called the alpha acids, which most anybody that gets into brewing understands what that means, and that's the bittering capability. Your barley is really sweet. And what they do is they add hops, which has a bittering that that offsets that sweetness. 
Stacy, from what we've heard, hops sound like a really good moneymaker. What are some of the things producers should think about before jumping into it? People sometimes think, oh, I'm going to make lots of money in hops, but we usually want them to step back. They think if they can grow it, that they can make money, and that's not exactly how it works. With most any specialty crop, you have to first find out whether there's a market for that particular item, and then you back up from it. So it's like, okay, we can sell this particular product in this particular method. So then we want to start looking backwards and determine, okay, how are we going to process it, package it, testing, and then you work your way back and it's like, what are the cultivars going to be, and then how much as a farmer can I do? Stacy, I understand hops has a small window from picking to processing at harvest. Can you tell us more about that? But, um, you don't have much time. It's almost like mowing grass. You know, most farmers are harvesting their corn at, what, 16 18% moisture. We're harvesting our crop at 77 to 82% moisture. And it's like cutting grass. We cut that off, and you put it in a bag, and within hours, it's becoming this big, musty, gross, slimy mess. <laughs> so you can't just leave it lay. It has to be processed immediately. So there's a, there's a whole timing process that has to go on. I don't want to scare people away, but I always want them to make sure that they go into this in a practical manner. The more activities the farmer can do for themselves, the more potential for income that they can make on it. But um, a lot of the people I deal with, they just want to grow it and they want to harvest it, but they don't want to do any of the post-harvest processing. Well, the growing is only around 20 to 25% of the value. The remaining 75% is in everything beyond that. We've been talking with UNL Associate Professor Stacy Adams on the possibility of growing hops in Nebraska. The Nebraska Extension will host a day-long workshop on hops Wednesday, July 19th from 8.30 to 3 at the UNL Panhandle Research and Extension Center in Scotts Bluff. The event is free and open to the public, but a registration for a meal count is appreciated. Call the center at 308-632-1230. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. We're back. Joe Teal joins us here on the Rural Radio Network to take a look at our livestock activity for today. Joe, still building a little premium in those deferred live cattle contracts today. Uh, yeah, a little uh, bear spreading taking place. A lot of it, I think, uh, we're having uh, the golden roll go on in the uh, in the cattle. August cattle finishing lower, the rest of them finishing a little bit higher. But uh, obviously uh, some bear spreading, too, uh, as the back end uh, continues to uh, rise a little bit. And I think that's uh, evident of uh, latest uh, inventory reports that suggest that our cattle inventory is uh, is growing. So, uh, But uh, a pretty quiet day, really. Uh, no cash trade to speak of. Cutouts were a little bit higher today, um, kind of dispelling uh, the... Uh, recent collapse we've had in the cutouts, so uh, that helped uh, bolster some of the prices uh, during the day. Uh, but no cash trade. Feeders kind of following suit, just a little bit higher, uh, kind of bouncing around uh, back and forth as the uh, grain markets moved higher and, and lower during the session. So uh, pretty, uh, pretty good day, really. Positive day overall. 
with uh, most of the contracts closing higher. Over the hogs, the July contract went off the board today, uh, off just a little bit, but the cash seems pretty uh, firm at this point, and uh, so the back end uh, rising uh, in response uh, to uh, a pretty steady cash trade and cutouts higher. So, and with the deep discounts now uh, with the August contract, I expect a little more firmness. This is the Rural Radio Network. Some major upgrades are underway at the Nebraska State Fairgrounds that you might not see, and that's a good thing. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I caught up with Joseph McDermott, Executive Director of the Nebraska State Fair, to talk about some work that's underway with the security system. Well, this this actually started last year. I sent an RFP uh, to firms across the state to help us establish a, um, a substantial wireless network. Um, and then we would install cameras on that wireless network and uh, received uh, several responses. But this past April, the board approved about $265,000 uh, to install uh, a wireless network. Now, there is a network out there, but it's it's not it's not um, um, very uh, secure. It's not very reliable. So we really needed to boost our capabilities on the ground. So the board approved the project. Um, there's a, a firm out there now uh, that's installing, um, uh, as I said, a substantial wireless network. We've also spent about um, sixty thousand dollars on cameras. Now these cameras um, will be installed on the grounds, um, and that's more or less at the direction of the Nebraska State Patrol. The patrol provides primary security during the fair, and so they've told us where they would like to see uh, cameras. So we're installing them at locations where they've suggested, plus we're also installing um, cameras in each of the livestock barns. Um, now the idea behind this, I mean, everybody's aware that in, in today's uh, world there are incidents taking place. Um, pretty much on a regular basis and uh, we just we just want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to make sure that as families come onto the grounds uh, that they're able to enjoy themselves and not have to worry about um, a security issue um, so that's taking place right now uh, it'll be up and running by the fair um, the state patrol will be monitoring the cameras in various locations um, our own livestock people will probably be monitoring the cameras in the livestock barns uh, but it's it's all to improve the safety and security uh, of fairgoers um, and then I anticipate that we'll be installing more cameras uh, every year as we go along this system does have the ability uh, to recover Record what the cameras are seeing uh, so that we can always go back to it and uh, um, inspect um, if there's an incident of some kind. I mean, it goes back to a few years ago when we had that incident in the sheep barn where somebody had crawled underneath the doors yeah. and opened up a whole series of pens. I mean, it's nice to know that the security and the safety is there for livestock exhibitors as well Absolutely. when they leave their house at night. Yeah. Absolutely, and and the board recognized the need for that, um, and that's why I say it's it's going to be installed on the grounds, outside, and in the barns. And I would anticipate, um, you know, once the network is installed, that each and every year 
we'll install more cameras uh, just just to be able to um, refer back to and again as I said the whole idea is to make sure that people can come onto the grounds and uh, enjoy themselves while they're here and not have to worry about um, any kind of a security issue my conversation with Executive Director Joseph McDermott of the Nebraska State Fair. State Fair, by the way, kicks off August 25th. And if you plan to enter Livestock to Show, you've got until August 10th to do so online, or the entry fees will see a double in price through the 15th. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Here's our closing grain market commentary with John Payne, Senior Market Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, also the publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So starting out a new week, John, how do you felt things closed today? Not a bad close. I thought we had a little momentum early that, that faltered. Uh, the midday model runs came out. And really, I think if you're looking at weather the next two weeks, you want to be watching that kind of convergence point where north uh, northeast Nebraska, northwest Iowa, Southwest Minnesota and then Southeast uh, South Dakota all come together, and those are that's a real dry area of a high high producing uh, um, you know bunch of acres there. And I think being dry right now, that's really where I think you could see this big yield swing come from. If they have a good couple of weeks of weather, you could see trend not say trend yields, maybe like a 168 nationwide. Uh, if they don't, and then you're talking maybe low six, low 160s. I think that's what's going to kind of determine where we head here uh, if, if we break out of this range. How much on the soybeans was NOPA crush versus the weather forecast? Oh, I think beans certainly have, you know, they, they, they need more more feed, I guess, I guess this point, to feed the beast as far as the bull side goes. Um, but I, I think it's just Biden time, you know, waiting to see what these weather forecasts are going to look like for August. There's one theme I have from guys I speak with on the bean side is that everybody's pretty much late. Uh, either they were late getting in the ground or it was a slow start due to cool temperatures, and they're kind of just starting to see what this thing looks like. Uh, doesn't feel like we're getting a whole lot of crop loss outside of that Dakota region, but uh, it's still early. And like I said, that north, northwest Iowa region, that's kind of ground zero for what I'm looking at right now. And we saw model runs this morning show that uh, over the next two weeks they are maybe looking at, you know, three, eight, three inches of, of, of uh, you know, projected rainfall. Now we got to realize it. So I think it's about these realizations. And this afternoon we'll, we'll get a good idea for, I think, the trend that the USDA is looking to take. I'm not looking for a 2% drop. I think that's what the market's looking at. I think if we're 1% or unchanged, the market probably still is sturdy on that. But, um, you know, it's about the August WASD, which is still a couple of weeks off. Uh, and that'll be where we get our first yield announcement. So you have that, and the crop tours are going to be starting. So this is just the beginning of this fun, this weather fun. I know if you've been following this stuff every day, you're probably sick of talking about the weather, but it's going to be the deciding factor for the next two weeks, not not things like NOPA. We just couldn't get any uh, support carryover from Minneapolis over to KC, yeah. could we? No, oh, no, and the KC is just in free fall. I think maybe we go retest, say, the high. 480, low 490 level, and then see what what's down there. I would be a buyer in those regions, though. I wouldn't be selling on these breaks. John Payne, Senior Market Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. To visit with him, contact Daniels at danielsagmarketing.com. I'm Joe Gangwish here on the Rural Radio Network.